Luke 18, 1 through 8. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Reading God's Word. Morning. Glad you're here. We are going through a brief series in preparation for Easter in three weeks on kind of the last things Jesus did before he ended up, or at least that Luke records for us, that he did before he went into Jerusalem for that final week of his life. One of the things when we read the Bible that's so important is that we often bring to the Bible what we wish it said. And it's so easy when we read to not read what it actually says, but what we wish it said. And some people make an art out of this and will distort it to mean what they want it to mean. But we all bring to the Bible our own kind of concepts and things that make sense to us. So when the Bible begins to say things that we would naturally think don't make a lot of sense to us, it's incumbent on us to read it for what it is. So what I'm going to do this morning, I want to take, as Jesus is, we've looked at some of the things he did, some of the healings he performed, what was going on. Uh, and this morning, I want to look at three, two parables and a story from Luke 18. And it's one, the one Sarah read the first of the three, and then the, the two that follow it up to verse 17. Uh, the story of the persistent widow. It's a parable that Sarah read. And then there's a second parable that Luke pairs, the Pharisee and the tax collector, and how they both try to justify, be, how were they justified before God. And then finally, Jesus' interaction with small children. And I want to look at those three things, and I want to look at it with this mindset. Here Jesus is. This is one of the final things he's doing on this trip to Jerusalem. And what do these three things have in common? I want to suggest to you that one of the things that these parables in this uh, account have is what are the actions, what are the attitudes that really capture God's heart? That when he looks at that, he says, that's what I want from my people. So just bear that in mind as we look at this. So in my former lifetime, when I was many, many years ago, I was a packaging salesman. 
And uh, the day I graduated from college, I got a job as a, as a packaging salesman. I mean, packaging boxes and the little bubble wrap people love to pop and the peanuts that get all over your stuff. I sold all that stuff for about eight years out of college. And my territory was downtown Washington. So I would take the metro in or drive in and park. And in the early years, I would cold call, which means you just go knock on doors of businesses and places that are likely to need stuff. And this is, you know, the internet was not around and cell phones are not around. And so this is, you just knock on a door and say, hi, do you need packaging? I mean, it was, you know, not people's houses or anything, but I mean, offices. So I was down 19th and F Street. I remember right where it was. There was a large association, uh, the Association of Life Underwriters. And the, I knew that these, all these guys had mail rooms, and they used bags and boxes for shipping and stuff. So knocked on to talk to the receptionist, knocked on the door, you know, and she said, well, you'll need to talk to the guy who runs the mail room. I said, okay, can I talk to him? Well, let me call down. No, he can't see you. You have to make an appointment. You're going to need to see Ani Kubain. He's the mailroom guy. I said, okay. So I went back, took it, dutifully left off my card, took his card, went back, made a phone call. No, I'm too busy, can't see you. No, I'm too busy, can't see you. About the third or fourth phone call, okay, okay, here's an appointment. You can come a few weeks later. So I show up at the appointed time, my little suit, you know, 21 years old, whatever I was, and, you know, going to see him. Then get there, told the receptionist, I'm here for my appointment. She calls down. He says he's too busy, can't see you. I'm like, yeah, but I have an appointment. She said, I don't know what to tell you. Went back through the whole process again, made another appointment, called him on the phone, got there, showed up again, same thing. So too busy, life is you know, hectic, I can't see you. I'm like, I have an appointment. It's like, I'm sorry, I don't think, you know, I'm too busy, I can't see you. So, this is a receptionist. I never saw him, no idea. So I was like, oh, that's how we're going to play it. All right. Well, what he didn't know is my time's way less valuable than his time. So now it's game on. I pass by 19th and F all the time because I did have some clients on the same block or nearby. So I'm like, every time I'm just stopping in, can I see him? Because he's got to at least deal with me and shoo me away. This went on, I kid you not, for about a year. The guy could have probably papered his wall with my business cards because I would just stop in. And he would say, you got to make an appointment. I'd say, well, I made some appointments, and he didn't see me. So I just thought, maybe you have some time right now. And uh, no, I can't see you, I can't see you. And I'd tell the receptionist, call, why don't you call him back? By this time, the receptionist and I are like a first-name basis. And I'm like, why don't you call him back and see when would be a good time? I was just irritating the heck out of him. And uh, so finally, about a year into this whole process, I'm getting into the same thing. It's like a joke at this point with the receptionist. And she calls down, and she says, you can go down. And I go, no way. <laughs> and then I realized I got nothing. I got no samples. I got no brochure. I didn't ever expect to see him. So I'm on my way down to the mailroom. This is a true story. I'm on my way down to the mailroom, and I'm thinking, what am I going to say? I had not even thought about what I was going to say because he never saw me. And I thought, what am I going to, I've sort of, in my mind, Ani Kubain was this sort of huge guy with a cigar sticking out of his mouth, like, all right, son, what do you want to say? You know, just really rude. I, I didn't know what I was facing. Well, got to his office, and I find this really gentle Lebanese man 
who's overworked, overwhelmed, chain smoking, sits down. We kind of face off, you know, kind of like high noon, like finally, like he's like, what can I do for you? And I had nothing. I was like, I'm not really sure. I'd sort of just like to sell you packaging. And he, I walked out with an order. And over the next six and a half years, he became one of my best clients and actually one of the best like friends I had uh, there. And that's a whole other story that I don't have time for. But the idea of this persistence works pretty well as a metaphor for salesmen. But that is, I'm afraid, the way some people read the story of the persistent widow. Something along the lines of, um, if you will just keep at it with your prayers, you're going to wear God out. And eventually he's going to say something like, all right, all right, I'll give you the healing. Just stop with the prayers already. Because somehow we have this idea, even though Jesus says the judge is nothing like God, and in a sense you're nothing like the widow, we somehow take away, go, I I challenge you, go and look at the children's sermons ideas for this story. And it'll all say something like, get your children to be really whiny and say, oh, I want this, and how they wear their parents out. And that's kind of like what your prayers do. No, no, this is not what it's saying. In the first place, the argument Jesus makes is it's from the lesser to the greater. All the time in the Bible, we read an argument that we don't tend to make anymore, but it's... um, If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will God do? This is a lesser to greater. If the evil judge will do this, how much more will God do this? So first thing is, the judge is is not like God. The only thing they're, they're alike in is they both are authoritative figures who have authority over the situation. And that the persistent widow did carry one of the qualities that God loves, which is dogged determination. And that's the first quality that God does love and looks for. Here's here's the first takeaway I want you to go, is that, guys, I know sometimes you just want to give up. And I don't know what you want to give up on. Maybe you want to give up on your faith. Maybe you want to give up on a relationship that you know God has called you into. Maybe, you know, there were times when I would sell all my kids for a nickel. I just, I would get, I would just, I would do that. I just wanted to give up parenting. I knew I was called to it, but the dogged determination to just say, I'm going to stay in the fight. First takeaway is that God loves that and he's there. Second thing I want you to look at is what is the widow praying for? Think about it. When we think about prayers, it's often something we'd like to see happen, often a good thing. We just think, well, if I keep praying for whatever, surely I'll wear out whatever to get that. That's not, what is the widow praying for? She's crying out for justice. Now, a widow in that time would have had no power, no authority. Remember that all economics were passed through sons or through husbands and a widow. That's why the Bible says take care of widows and orphans. One of the reasons, because they were so destitute. 
And so she's crying out to this judge for justice, for the right thing to be done, because she doesn't have any uh, moral authority. Well, she has moral authority, but she doesn't have any legal authority to get it to happen. And so in that, he says, the elect, the children of God, cry out to him for what? For justice, to see things put right. The point of this parable is what? Always to pray from verse 1 and never lose heart. Why would you lose heart when you pray for something? How many of you all, don't raise your hand because I, I know the answer. How many of you all have prayed for things multiple times again and again? You're praying for a restoration of a relationship or you're praying for some change in some way. Why would you lose heart? Because it's not happening, right? I mean, that makes sense. And it can be so discouraging. You you may not only lose heart, you might lose faith. Is there a God there? Is He listening? Why is this not happening? It's a very human question. And what this parable... Remember, Jesus is just in His last season of His life... And we're not trying to badger an unwilling God. One of the, if you, if you don't know Bob Yarborough, Bob and Sharon haven't come since COVID, but he's, Bob's a treasure. Bob knows the Lord in, in a depth of way that few people do. And I called Bob this week because frankly, when I look at these verses, I think, I don't know what they say. I mean, I can read the words and I can analyze it, but like my heart, do I know this? So I called Bob and I said, Bob, what is what does this mean? What does this story mean? And Bob's answer, I'm going to quote here. I'll give you a quote. <clears throat> it's not Calvin or Luther, but it is Bob Yarborough, who one day may be in the same breath. I have no idea. He says, I've pondered the meaning of the two parable stories of Luke 18 for many years now, like 50. (laughs) And he, he says, I still find myself in the earthly plane as the widow seeking justice from an unjust judge in a cruel world that wears out the saints. And only a grudging response is obtained by such persistence. The better way I sense is found in the next story. It's in the humility of the publican that leaves all the religious praying to the Pharisee and his only justification for going on lies in trusting in a merciful God. Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance to bless. Listen to this. It's overcoming my resistance to perceiving the blessing that's already been bestowed. Do you hear that? Listen. Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance to bless but overcoming my resistance to perceiving the blessing already bestowed. That's deep, guys. I, I, I wish I could tell you I that's an experiential thing. I, I want to be like him when I grow up. I want to understand that when I'm persisting, it's not to change God in that sense of changing God's mind. It's that I want to stand in the place where I'm not missing the blessing, the justice that he will speedily bring. The Bible says here at the end of the story, will not God give justice to his chosen or to his elect 
who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. May not be speedily on your timetable, but it's exactly the right time. And then he asked this last question, and this has always confused me a little bit. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? I don't know. Will he? What do you think of that? Is the answer yes or no? I think both. I think the question is, will he find faith in you? In your home? What's faith? What's living in that radical trust in God? Because this is the second thing. We have this first thing of this dogged persistence. He loves radical faith. The dependence on God. And again, this story where the the tax collector is going and he's saying, I got nothing. Have mercy on me, a sinner. That's all he said. And he was a sinner. He was no more righteous than the Pharisee behaviorally. You could argue the Pharisee was more righteous in his behavior in terms of the, the law. But he says the one goes home justified before God, the tax collector, not the Pharisee, because the humble, the radically humble, will be exalted. And then he finishes this last story with, with children coming to him. Verse 15, Luke chapter 18. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. The first word that's used there would be brephos, which is babies, really infants, just newborns, brephos. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. I'm guessing it was just kind of a madhouse walking through the town Jericho and people are trying to give Jesus their babies to bless or whatever. I'm sure they just were trying to keep some semblance of order, I guess. Jesus called to his disciples saying, let the children come to me. And this word pedia is little children like seven and under, they think, pedia would sort of be. Not brephos, he doesn't use that word. He says pedia, seven and under, which would include infants, but a little bit older. Let them come to me. They can run on their own. Don't hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child won't inherit it. Thought about this one as well, and I tell you once again, I'm not positive all the implications that Jesus was saying, but here's here's one that I'll offer to you. What's the characteristic of a padilla, of a small child? Little, three, four, five. What? Yeah, they trust and they're just, you know, there's good and there's bad. They're childish sometimes and childlike other times. But little ones, really little ones, while they can put up a fuss and they can be a challenge at two, three, four, right? But if you tell them something, they'll believe you. They don't, they haven't gotten jaded or cynical or skeptical enough to really question it. That comes a little later. And then by the time you're 15, everything's, you know, it's not, not, you can't say anything, right? It's amazing how that shifts. Probably a natural thing. 
But here's what, here's what I want to say in this helpless dependence of your Padillas, of your two, three, four-year-old. When was the last time your little one, if you have little ones, and you can remember back, hopefully you can remember back to when they were, what, what was the last time they came to you and said at about 5.30, 6 o'clock, 5 o'clock on a week, weekday night and said, Mom, Dad, I trust you tonight to bring me a nutritious and hearty meal, balanced, hopefully tastes good. I want to tell you today, I'm, I'm putting my trust in you that I will have that happen. Is that what happens at your house? Your little Stepford children do that? Mine goes something like, would say something like this. What's for dinner? I'm hungry, right? They're not, they're not thinking, oh, I'm just going to put my trust in you because I, I intellectually understand. They just know they're hungry and that pretty much every night they get fed. And that you've been there. Do we come to God with the expectation? Do we run to Him that He's going to be there? That He's providing because He always has? Or have we gotten so jaded or skeptical that we think, well... He's let me down, or I don't know if he'll come through again. Yeah, maybe in the past, but this time, I don't know. Jesus says, look, here he is marching to Jerusalem to his death, knowing in the next verses we're going to find in verse 18, the the two stories down in verse 31, he's going to say, I'm going to die. I'm on my way to my death. And Luke records these stories where he's saying this is the kind of attitude that the Lord God manifested in His Son wants for His people. Come to Me with dogged persistence, with radical, humble faith, and with this helpless dependence, and I rush in for that. Hear me. It's not good to be incompetent, but God's not impressed by your competence. He doesn't need your competence. He's way better at almost everything, at everything, than we are. He needs your helpless dependence. He needs you to say, I can't do this without you. I can't save myself without you. I can't be the mother or father or child or student or worker without you. I can't be the Christian, the follower of yours without you. I can't do this. It's not working without you. And I know you've done all that I need. Help me to persist so that I understand that it's you who are going to provide. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, the words you want to hear, I think, more than any other are, I need you and I trust you. Those words, I love you, the simplicity that we would hear from a child, 
you love that. Lord, help us not to give up. For those of us who are in places and over things that we just feel like, I just, I just want to give up. Help us to learn from the widow to persist, to pray that there would be justice. The right thing would be done to your children, Lord. For those who are in positions of suffering, your children who are suffering, we do pray that you would bring justice, Lord. Make it right. Lord, help us to humble ourselves so that you might exalt us. Help us not to exalt ourselves so you must humble us. And Lord, we just declare, I declare as a church, we are helplessly dependent on you. Lord, we don't know where a facility is that we're supposed to meet in. We need you to show us. Lord, we don't know exactly how to make the decisions that would honor you best as a church. We are doing our best, but we declare our humble dependence on you. Lord, we want to know what staff you want us to have here. We're completely dependent on your spirit to show us what to do, when to do it, how to do it. We're not competent enough without you to make good choices. Lord, and we certainly can't save ourselves. We don't know what to do about our society, Lord. Many of us grieve for darkness that we see around us. We don't know what to do. We cry out for justice, for you to set things right, for you to bring your will to bear. Empower us, O Lord, in your spirit to be helpless and dependent and mighty in you, not in ourselves. Help us to parent in your power, to be spouses in your power, to be Christians in your power. Pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Stand with me, please, as we close.